Punisher Season 2, Episode 8, My Brother's Keeper. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. We are on to episode 8 of season 2 of The Punisher. This is Defenders TV podcast, episode 214, and we're talking about My Brother's Keeper. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello, I am one of your other hosts, John. And rounding out the group, I'm Chris. Welcome back, everybody. Yeah, welcome back to uh, episode 8. Wow, uh, over halfway through now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm missing the man in black. I'm missing the pilgrim. It's like, where is he? Uh, it was good to get a little... A bit of Amy in this, um, although she seemed to be on the wrong side of Frank's mm-hmm. temper. And uh, But yeah, I'm missing the Pilgrim. Do you know uh, what really irritated me this episode, I must say, before we get into real spoilers? Just nothing majorly spoiled. The only thing that irritated me is that we finally started calling the character the Pilgrim. And then Madani goes, I've met your friend, the man in black. <laughs> so we were right from the start that that's, that's the only name we're going to hear from him uh, until maybe later on in the season. So we were right calling him the man in black but it's irritated that it's coming now when we've started to call him something else. <laughs> it's always the way. It's like, literally, we're going to be calling Billy every name under the sun, and mm-hmm. they've, they've, I think they've called him Jigsaw once, and yes. that was just referring for his face. And they called him, yeah, Jigsaw Face Guy in this episode as well. Uh, so, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, we've been going, everyone's like, oh, it's Jigsaw, it's Jigsaw. I'm like, no, it's Billy with a Jigsaw-like face. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, fellow Defenders, we're going to get into our spoiler-filled discussion about this episode in a moment. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do over on our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com or on any good or villainous podcast catcher. Uh, just search for Defenders TV Podcast or The Punisher on Defenders TV Podcast just to get our Punisher episodes. I uh, hope you've been enjoying the coverage so far. If you have, and you've been enjoying the, the actual episodes, send us an email. Let us know your thoughts about the show at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com or come and join us on our Facebook group and chat all about The Punisher, all about all the other shows and all about the comic books that we're covering like Doctor Strange uh, over on Facebook.com slash groups slash DefendersTVPodcast. Yes, and if you'd like to send in voicemails, please do because then your voice will be broadcast uh, through the airwaves on Defenders TV Podcast. You can leave up to 90 seconds of your thoughts on anything to do with The Punisher or Strange Tales or anything to, related to the Marvel Netflix Defenders shows over on our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Just click on the right-hand side tab and leave your voicemail. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be great. Yep. Voicemails are good in an audio world. Absolutely. Yes, but with all that, boys, why don't we just jump straight into it? Um, Derek, do you want to give us the episode details for this one? Absolutely. This episode was written by Bruce Marshall Romans. Uh, he wrote episode seven of season one of Punisher, um, Cold Steel, uh, as well as this episode. Previously, he worked on Falling Skies and held loads of writing credits on Hell on Wheels, uh, which he worked on for a long time. So uh, great to have him back for season two of the series. I always like when a writer comes back uh, from the previous show so that you know that they know the characters and they're being given a chance to continue on the show. Um, this episode was directed by Michael Offer, another Australian TV director coming over, and another one getting its start on Home and Away. They just get everywhere. All the actors that are on Home and Away seem to get into the Marvel Universe somehow, and the directors seem to get into the Marvel TV side as well. It is such a great um, sort of factory for churning out actors, directors, uh, producers, mm. you name it. I mean, it is like the theatre scene in the UK, or yeah. Corrie, or EastEnders, you know, 
you get some of these golden nuggets from daytime TV that just make it to Hollywood or beyond. You Absolutely. Know? Uh, yeah, cool. Yeah, and Michael's also worked in, in the US before. He's worked on Person of Interest and on an episode of Arrow as well. But it is the first time he's worked on The Punisher. Welcome on board, Michael. Yeah, good to have you here, Michael. Good day, mate. <laughs> I was just trying to make you feel at home. <laughs> John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Painful memories take hold of Billy Russo following his brutal encounter with his former army mate and friend, Frank Castle. He runs to Dr. Dumont for support. Confused and feeling betrayed, Russo is unable to make the connection between his friendship with Frank and what just went down. As he suspects Dumont knows the truth about Frank, his relationship with her becomes more fraught, and he leaves to return to his veteran family and make plans. Elsewhere, Frank also has difficulty to process the events as he observes that Russo is unaware of his past crimes against his family. But his frustration becomes equally physical and threatening as he crosses the line with Amy, Mahoney, and Jake, frightening those closest to him. Still recovering from his run-in with Frank, Mahoney visits Dina Madani and warns her that she faces a choice between loyalty to Frank or loyalty to her oath as a law enforcer. Yeah, what an ending we got in this one. Wow, I was not expecting it... I thought it was going to zig, but it zagged. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm still not sure how I feel about that. I don't know. This this is a tough episode. Once you have some affinity towards these characters, you actually start to feel empathy for them. Mm -hmm. And they definitely crank up the the empathy they want you feeling towards the end of this episode absolutely absolutely yeah. and yeah frank is pretty brutal um that's part of this episode uh, i know we were saying on on some of our previous discussions that started to find it very difficult to associate any kind of good feelings towards frank in this season because <laughs> he's pushing it so far with all of those around him um i feel like at this stage i definitely wouldn't want to be in the same room as frank castle ever um, Big time. Yeah, I think the affinity uh, for Frank or the empathy there, it's rapidly decreasing for me. I'm like, yeah. the, th- the whole thing with Amy, with Mahoney, you know, just crossed that line for me. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was interesting, I yeah. think, um, to see this for the title character, you know, yeah. that you're maybe beginning to uh, form empathy with other people here Mm -hmm. uh in particular for me mahoney it's kind of like yeah just take this guy down yeah yeah well let's get into our our top five bullet points for this episode our first bullet point is the street battle because last episode it went to black just as as frank was about to chase down billy i know loads of our fellow defenders have been getting in contact with us going i really wanted to go on to the next episode so i have (laughs) so uh, we totally understand fellow defenders we know you can't keep this kind of schedule along with us when uh when they have that kind of cliffhanger at the end of an episode um chris we have our yeah our big moment frank is chasing billy down um with the sniper from the rooftops across the street uh i i think our fellow defenders and i think even internally we've been calling this the heat moment Mm -hmm. it's just balls to the wall kind of bad guys shooting up so then you basically we have still have frank chasing billy um and it's basically frank with a small handgun versus billy with a large machine gun and which i didn't fully understand how frank got away with that one but okay (laughs) 
We were wondering because of that kind of trope that's in movies where, you know, one bullet into a car would explode the car. We were just wondering, you know, what does a thousand bullets being shot rapidly into a car? Does that not make the car explode? Yeah. No, apparently not. Yeah, exactly. This was really confusing for me. I was like, okay, now I don't believe anything. It's like in the 80s, a bullet to the bonnet of a car was like great explosions. Now, like... It's riddled with bullets and yeah. not an explosion in sight. So I have no idea now whether one or the other is the truth or simply um, an exaggerated production value yeah. um, or not. And so, I, yeah. Didn't they do that in 22 Jump Street? Wasn't there a whole gag around that? I think there was, Jump yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I was convinced that, like, the snipers fired so many bullets into that um car and missed Frank that he must have hit the engine, at least. And I was expecting the fuel line to be broken and Frank effectively killed indirectly by this sniper. <laughs> okay, let's be honest. Like, we knew it was not going to end at this scene. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, like, we knew Definitely. their final confrontation was not going to be here. So I, I knew that was coming, and the, so as soon as the cops arrived, I was very much okay. So this is how we're gonna kind of transition it forward. Mm-hmm. Um, what I didn't expect, and which I actually really did enjoy, was Frank running away from the cops. Mm-hmm. So you see his yeah. army training kicks in, just run it, and then you see Mahoney. Apparently, uh, NYPD don't exercise long-distance running the same way <laughs> that a former Marine does. Absolutely. No, yeah. they. I think they take a shortcut, so they head him off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing I want to compliment this scene about as well, um, we kind of were joking uh, on our last episode about the sniper being a really bad shot um, and not ever being able to hit anything. I have to say that moment when you see Frank driving down the street and the bullets are coming in through the front window and the side window at him, uh, I don't know what they've done in the production of this, but those bullets looked really close to Frank's head as he was ducking out of the way of them. Uh, they must have used some kind of CGI to get them really close uh, to hitting Frank. Because obviously it's not real bullets. Don't, don't want to push uh, John Brentall in that much danger for doing an episode of a show. But uh, there, there's just moments there where you're seeing split-second uh, yeah. shots about to hit John Brentall as he ducks. And Curtis is the one that takes out the sniper. Yeah, I think um, actually puts the sniper out of his misery. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah any sniper worth his salt is just there going, oh, okay, I missed 10 out of the, <laughs> the shots here. Yeah. 10 out of 10, but misses. Um, yeah, yeah, but Curtis takes him out um, and you know, takes him out so that he saves Frank because I think Frank is literally just coming into the crosshairs. I think there's a fairly clean shot, you know, in fairness yeah. to the sniper, there are vehicles moving. It's fairly chaotic Absolutely. down in the street. Um, but then... Uh, Curtis kind of has that view over the battlefield, so to speak, uh, with all this um, car chases and uh, ultimately has the moment to take out Billy Russo um, mm-hmm. and and doesn't take it in the end. You know, and we see him blaming himself later on for not uh, being able for whatever reason, to take that shot. It it seems as though, you know, despite everything he said in in that kind of conflab between him, uh, Dina Madani, and Frank, uh, maybe he's a little more aligned to Dina Madani here in, in reality, um, despite wanting, or at least saying at that moment that he just wanted Billy to be um, taken out just to, you know, for a quiet life almost. And um, so th- this is really nice. And I think it leads into Frank's 
further frustration once he knows that Curtis didn't take the shot. Um, but Curtis does put himself on the line here for Frank as well after Frank is stopped by Mahoney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, we've already just hit the nail on the head, which is everything about this um, episode is about the building pressure, the building uh, resentment, the building fury, violence, everything within Frank. Mm. So every bullet point we've talked about with Frank up until this point has just been whittling away at the Punisher. They're giving a reason for why Frank is becoming as violent, over the top violent that he's becoming. So not they're not just saying that this violence is for violence sake. Mm-hmm. It's just they wanted to up the gore level in the gym. That's not what we're getting. What we're getting are the grunting and the the barking that we saw um, in episode one. Mm-hmm. Like all of this has been kind of leading to the end of this episode, which we'll talk about more later. But I think the interesting part here is like with Mahoney, um, when Frank takes his gun. Yes. Basically pistol whips Mahoney. Yeah. He didn't need to. No, well, he, he didn't. He does ask Mahoney, will you chase me down if I leave you here? And Mahoney goes, absolutely. Like, he's out, he's out of that laneway in, or alleyway in two seconds, uh, if he's left on his feet. And what Frank is doing is hitting him to the ground. And he does, he does look a little regretful or resentful of himself for having to do that. Um, but he knows Mahoney's not gonna not chase him and he needs to get out of there, I suppose. But, um, but yeah, it does feel like, again, another moment where we talked about it last episode that, Mahoney is the lawman. He's there with a bunch of his men and they could have taken out Billy legally. Yet Frank wants to be the one to do it and wants to be the one to take them out. You know, um, I suppose there's a little bit in there where you have the conversation with Frank and Frank's kind of going, you're chasing me down and I'm not the person that you need to be chasing down. Um, you need to go after Billy and Mahoney's refusing that. I suppose is kind of where, where it's going with, with Frank. Um, but as you guys have been saying, there is that moment where we have Curtis and Frank blaming themselves for not taking out Billy because Frank also says he had Billy dead to rights when he saw him first and didn't take the shot. So um, so both Curtis and Frank are both blaming themselves for a moment where they didn't take out Billy, where they, they allowed their friendship to get in the way. But Frank seems more angry at Curtis as well. Uh, and Curtis seems really angry at Frank because he's blaming everybody. Um, and we get probably the scariest moment of the episode, I think, following on from this scene where Frank arrives back to Amy, who's been sitting around doing absolutely sweet fa because there's not even a television in the place she's got absolutely nothing to do in the caravan that she's been left in by frank so she has been practicing working the gun she's been practicing that move that frank taught her and she tries the move on him when he comes in through the door because he hasn't done the secret knock that he said he would do and frank throws her to the ground gun to her face um and is shouting right into her face yeah well he fires the gun off Mm -hmm. uh to the side and it's just like yeah that was when i was like what is going on here Mm -hmm. Um, like he's frustrated. You can definitely see that. I think there's a really good moment where you get to the, the crux of it where, where Frank says that he could see from Billy that he didn't know why he, Frank was shooting at him. Yeah. He could see that he couldn't process why this was going down the way it was, why his friends, his former army mate, Frank Castle, you know, it is, is absolute 
right hand man in the Marines, why he was shooting at him, why he was wearing that skull on the breastplate, on the Kevlar jacket, why everything. He just could not be processed by uh, Billy and Frank could see this. And, mm-hmm. and there was that frustration that ultimately the world got a little more complicated for Frank yep. um, in that moment. And I think that was great that they had this. It needed to have this. Um, but ultimately, Frank comes across here with Amy and with Mahoney, at least for me, uh, really unsympathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I must say, I was just like, wow, I'm really losing it with Frank here. But, um, you know, and Amy, her response is absolutely, uh, great here. She's like, what are you doing? And she's in tears. She kind of backs into a corner. Oh, yeah. Um, thinking that she's going to get hurt by Frank. And that's the thing. It's not just that he's frustrated, but he's threatening everyone. And he goes off on one. He goes and tracks down Jake and again beats him to a pulp with Curtis having to rush in to kind of just stop the, the logical outcome, which is Jake effectively having his head ca- caved in. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, when you hear Curtis even saying to him, you know, stay with me, man, stay with me, stay alive because he's been beaten so badly. You can see his cheekbone sticking out of his cheek. Like he's been brutally beaten by Frank here. Yeah. I, I, I was not happy with that part. Like I get, I know why they're doing it now. I, well, I hope I do. I can kind of see the writing on the wall of uh, kind of, if you want to call it that, um, the redemption of Frank Castle. Mm. Um, but yeah, God, God bless the SFX artist, artist. <laughs> um, because like they, they had to do a lot of work on this. Like, mm. to, yeah, no, no. Yeah. It, it, it does feel really far, and I don't know whether they've provided the explanation yet. As you say, Chris, we get to the end of the episode, and we have a moment where we, as the audience, have to decide what we think is happening. Uh, we'll talk about that later on. Um, but, yeah, we're just seeing a more and more violent Frank. Normally, he would have backed down a little bit at this stage uh, because he's learning these types of things about Billy, for example, um, because he's learning, you know, a- a- Amy's just doing exactly what he told her to do. He would have backed down normally at that, but... As you say, he fills up his gun and goes back out after Jake immediately afterwards so that he can find Billy again. You know, he's not backing down at all, even with all of these obstacles, I suppose, or all of these explanations being put forward to him um, until the end of the episode. So, you know, and we'll see more as we go into the rest of the series. But, yeah, a very, very brutal Frank, as we see in this episode. Let's get on to Billy. Um because Billy's got a, quite a few big things happening in this episode. Bullet point number two, Billy and his team after this job goes wrong or i guess it goes right because they still get the money uh, but they've lost a few members of the team from frank um uh, who took them out last episode um we find a little bit more about the actual plan a nice little idea there the inside man that we didn't know about uh, and the other inside man so we knew about one guy who who worked for the delivery company who delivered the money to the checks and loan place um that they attacked but the other inside man was the guy behind the counter uh, which is a really interesting one um, so they always had him in place in case Lillian, the manager of the place, didn't let them in to get the money. He's always in there to let them in through the door. Um, but there's a great scene here as Billy arrives back to the warehouse where everybody's meeting up as he's trying to sort everything out in his head, but he's just not able to connect the pieces. We see all those fragments of his memory flashing back to him while everybody else is talking about the job and how the job's gone. I think it's a really well done scene. Guys, did you find this really complicated? <laughs> yeah, like, I... Going, we had this inside man with another inside man. Then we had Billy going crazy. And I'm like, I was trying to follow along. And I'm like, yeah, okay. 
towards the end, I got it, but God, he could have made this easier for everyone, <laughs> the audience. Yeah, a little bit of Basil exposition would have gone a long way here. I mean, I even, I think, at some point thought there was an inside man who was a cop working for Mahoney oh, because right. of that scene where Frank was looking over the, the two dead bodies in the warehouse. Mm-hmm. I was like... But I think it was just Mahoney was talking about inside men or or whatever and Billy looking to cover his tracks, which kind of makes sense now why Billy shot these two men in in the head. Obviously, um, there was the security guard. Well, I say obviously, it wasn't obvious to me at the time, but we had a, a <laughs> we had a good old chin wag uh-huh. before uh, we came uh, on to the podcast to to really get this straight. There was the guy because he wasn't in a security uh uniform or i didn't think he was but then derek said that he was so we have the security guy who had dropped the money off and then there was the guy behind the counter with lillian who was there to make sure that the door opened no matter what in a sense exactly um the security guard remember he was wearing his security guard outfit (laughs) dropped off the money went home and changed and he's meeting them after the job in the warehouse to get his cut of the money so that's why he wasn't wearing the security guard outfit but yeah it felt really irrational as i said this moment where you have billy trying to get the fragments of his memory back together. He gets himself at least stable for a second and then takes his gun out and shoots these two guys, these two inside men. And you're going, why did he shoot the two of them? Is it because they're arguing? And then he just takes the money and walks off. And it's only later when Mahoney goes, oh, that was to cover his tracks. You're wondering whether Mahoney's just giving him too much credit and it just happened that they happened to be the two inside guys, you know? Um, is Mahoney just <laughs> yeah. giving him way too much credit here that he actually thought about this or was that Billy's plan and he was still able to execute his plan even though he was going a bit crazy? I also love that the rest of the gang just look at Billy as he walks past him with all of the money from the job and just kind of go, okay, well, I guess we live, which is all right, I suppose. Yeah, we're, we're still alive yeah. and our leader is or has just gone kind of a little crazy. So um maybe, you know, poor but still alive is better than rich and dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this was a tough one to follow. So as we get to see later on in the episode, this very much is a two-parter. I know I'm breaking it down too much, but like essentially we have more scenes later with Billy and mm-hmm. we can talk about that later. But yeah. I think this the journey on each of the characters is super visible in this episode. Well, there's absolutely striking the parallel between what's happening with Frank and what's happening with um with Billy you know we will we will talk about that later on in in uh, in our further points but let's get on to just one of the other major characters in the show uh, Madani because she's finally kind of being tracked down by uh, by Mahoney um and he's going to have a pretty serious word with her about what's going on <laughs> our bullet point number 3 is Madani getting the ultimatum from Mahoney um I kind of love these two playing yeah, off each other. You know, too. they're both two members of law enforcement. Uh, Mahoney has really worked out that Madani is going behind his back constantly. She is essentially working with Frank and he's already told her he wants Frank behind bars. Um, so I love the interaction between the two of these as Mahoney comes over to Madani's apartment and calls out, well, if we're not having this at Homeland, you're doing something really secretive and you want to keep it that way. And Madani calls back to him, well, if we're not doing it at your precinct, you also want to keep the secret. So uh, having these really interesting undercover kind of discussions between the two of them. Yeah, I, I think this is um professional courtesy to, in some respects from Mahoney, but mm-hmm. just, I think he has a really fine line with Madani as to whether 
he thinks she is professional or requires his courtesy, you know? Yeah. Um, I think this is a last chance saloon. You know, he, he reels it off. You've lied to me. You've shot me and, and so on, you know, and, and now, uh, you, you really need to say what is going on. And of course, at the same time, from Adani's point of view, she can't because we, we've had the, the, the reminder of how embedded uh, her story is now with the CIA mm-hmm. and with Rawlins from season one. So she, she's slightly caught between a rock and a hard place, yet she still gives Frank benefit, the benefit of the doubt, really. Yeah. Um, and I think Mahoney's like saying, well, you either have to stop doing this or, um, you're making your choice to be with him. And in which case then my professional courtesy has gone. And I really like that ultimatum from Mahoney. Uh, to me, this actually feels really realistic. Um, I, I can sense the idea that, you know, this could happen. And I like the fact that I think it's a really different side to Mahoney. You know, you see him working with Daredevil. In, in the Daredevil shows, yet here he is absolutely refusing to work with Frank. I like that contrast. I like mm-hmm. that difference because it is him realizing that Daredevil will go out of his way not to kill people. Yeah. Uh, Frank, it's almost he has to be forced out of his way to keep people alive. Um, he sees this difference between the hero and the anti-hero, that blurred line that rests with the Punisher. Yeah. Um, and I like that because that makes uh, his character feel genuine. It feels real. And in the whole relationship with Madani, that then feels real as well. He's mm-hmm. like, going, I'm giving you a chance, but that chance is running out of road now. And um, after that, I'm just going to bring you in to and blow this whole thing wide open, whatever it is that's going on. So this is this is a really great moment, I think, in this episode. Mm-hmm. I like how Mahoney is kind of starting now to call Madani on her bullshit, um, yeah. to the point where it's like, okay, like we're gonna the next time we do this conversation, it's going to be in my place yeah. in cuffs. Um, and yeah, cause he, it's the only thing he can do. Cause he's copped that she is protecting. No, shielding Frank, if we want to yes. call it that. But he does, he gets through to Madani or does he? That's the question. I actually, yeah, I, I feel like it would be doing a bit of Shakespeare. He gets through or does he? That is the question. <laughs> we see Madani go straight for the trailer park. Yeah. I thought this was quite interesting because to be. Did we know that Madani knew exactly where Amy and Frank were hold, held up? Because no. she, she thought they were out of the city last time. Yeah. And then she only realizes that Frank is back in town when he comes to visit her uh, last episode. But, you know, obviously this conversation could have happened completely separately. Frank could have told her Amy's there in case anything happens to me. Go and help Amy. She may have followed Curtis. That's not clear because she arrives very quickly she, after Curtis. She uh, tracks his phone. That's absolutely right. Well done. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I do remember that moment. Uh, Amy saying that's that's rule number one when you're on the run is to destroy your phone. Yeah, absolutely correct. Um, so and like, but, but that even that even raises questions because she's then kind of again using um, the the government agencies mm-hmm. uh, funds, not even funds, services to track. Um, and you're like, at some point, people are going to start asking why the special agent in charge is doing all these things. 
I do think that's imp- entirely possible to be a storyline for part of this season. You know, remember, she is completely working off the books here. Yeah. Uh, nobody's supposed to know what she's doing, and she's still special agent in charge. She still has a job. Yeah, yeah and um, it's been called out by Rafi, yeah. uh, to be honest. Um, she has also visited Marion as well at the yeah. CIA. So, that yeah, it could well be, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to think that in between all these really impactful scenes, she's just there at her desk signing papers, just going, <laughs> yeah, I approve that. That's budget. It's over budget. Those pencils have to wait until next fiscal quarter. Like, the Madani we don't see. We see this really kind of tough Madani. And then the in-between scenes, she's just signing, like, quarterly budget review meetings. She's there doing a performance review with one of the agents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry, you didn't get the promo this cycle. But next cycle, we take down that joke <laughs> ring, you've got the promotion. Yeah, I mean, I think here as well, uh, the fact that Madani shows up at the caravan, I don't know what it was. Because we hadn't seen the man in black for quite a while now, it seems to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably not that long, in, in, like in all honesty. And a half, uh, yeah, <laughs> but I think because we're watching it with the, you know, the time in between... It feels a long time since we've seen that confrontation between um, the Pilgrim and Madani on mm. the street. And, you know, he makes the point that, you know, tell me where they are, um, otherwise I'll, I'll come for you, you know. And I'm just wondering, we've not seen him. So I was half expecting he was going to show up here yeah. at the caravan. Uh, I was half expecting to see a bullet go through... Curtis go through Madani because effectively uh, he's been in the shadows, he's been holding back, and then this was going to be this huge um, moment where he he comes back into the series. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was constantly on on edge here, thinking Madani has just brought the man in black to their safe house or safe caravan, mm-hmm. um, and that you know so. Um, but it didn't happen. So I'm like going, where is this guy? Is he just on his knees in the hotel room sort of praying away, uh, reading scripture or, you know, what's he doing? Yeah, well, we don't know. I, I'm assuming he's back next episode. He's probably going to, but I think they need to, I get the feeling we're going to have, yeah, we have one more episode. So episode nine is the end of the third arc. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the, the, the end of the, the Billy, the change. So we'll probably get him back towards the end of episode nine and he'll take over more of a, uh, he'll take a more centric view for 10, 11, 12, 13 kind of job. Yeah. I mean, I'm hoping so because it, it's even with the, you know, the drop about the Schultzes and their son, all of a sudden that's kind of just faded to the background. Uh, yeah. And, in some ways, I get that because, you know, Billy Russo's story has come to the fore. And I have to say, I've really enjoyed Billy Russo um, in these last two episodes. I, I think um, you know, Ben Barnes does confused, upset, frightened, you name it, frustrated uh, really, really well. I mean, he does just feel like this tinderbox that's about to just go off. Um, and I, I think that is down to, like, phenomenal acting of Ben Barnes and I've really enjoyed that I really liked him in this episode is how he trying to process everything you know he he does it so well that internalization of of his confusion I think it's really nicely done by um, Ben Barnes here just taking it back to Madani because I'm agree with you to Ben Barnes and we'll, we'll talk about him a bit more in a second 
so the the one of the the final scenes from Madani and Curtis and Amy is them just sitting there, all of them, mm-hmm. in the caravan, and it's Drinking essentially Madani deciding she's not sure what she's going to do. Mm. Is she going to turn them in or not? And she kind of goes, "We'll just wait and see." So I'm paraphrasing to a degree, but yeah, and um, like, what do we think? Like. I don't know. I, I'm hoping Madani crosses to Mahoney's side here, yeah. um, to be honest. I, I would be really disappointed, I think, if Mahoney then starts to empathize with Frank. Um, I, I, I think that would be a little too outlandish for me. Um, I think Mahoney's depth of feeling about what Frank represents, I think, seems correct to me. Um, and this is just my angle on it, really. Yeah. Um, and I hope that Madani uh, crosses to help Mahoney. And ultimately, as she says, to probably help keep uh, Curtis out of the line of fire yeah. and Amy. So that, you know, we then have the Punisher as this lone uh, warrior uh, going and doing his punishment um, all the time. So I, I hope that's the way... Madani goes, um, but I don't know. Um, I think what Madani's probably hoping for right now is that Frank turns back up covered in blood, and that's the death of Billy, and it's all over, and he just leaves town. I think that's what she's <laughs> hoping for, that since Frank's off on his own, that maybe he actually will succeed in his mission before she has to do anything else, basically. <laughs> and then he just leaves town afterwards, you know? Uh, I think that's where she's hoping it would be. Yeah, doing... I suppose she is hoping exactly as Marion uh, suggested, yeah. that let these two go at one another, and then end of problem. Exactly. Um, but the longer it's going on with fighting in the streets of New York and that kind of stuff, the worse it's looking for Madani. Yeah, I'm just really interested about where this is going to go. This is actually one where I was like, I can see it going either way um, with the character of Madani, and I, I do like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I it typically sometimes there's writing on the wall for a lot of these characters in a lot of these shows. Yeah. Uh, where we've kind of guessed some things and you can kind of guess where the character is going to go. At the end of this episode, I actually didn't know where Madani was going to lie. Yeah. Um, it, I could say it was a 50-50 split, but um, yeah, it's an interesting just to see what happens at the end when Frank comes back from his jaunts away um, in the uh, in the graveyard, but we'll get yeah. to that more later. Um, okay, so I'm going to move it on. Uh, speaking of uh, one thing I don't know about to another thing I don't know about. Um, <laughs> bullet point four: uh, a monster inside Billy. Yeah, yeah. As we said earlier on, I was actually going to put the two of these together um, with Frank attacking all of the people around him um, and and some people that aren't completely connected with him. But how violent and brutal Frank is getting is completely mirrored in Billy. Um, That moment when he turns up to Dr. Dumont's place and is completely freaking out, I did kind of feel like Dumont was considering not letting Billy in, um, just purely by the rage that's on his face, and also because she wants to stand out as being a powerful, strong character in herself that wouldn't let somebody like Billy into her life. He walked out on her, uh, told her that he was walking away and thanks for the memories kind of thing. And now he's coming back to her again because he needs her. He's like, you know, he's like a child coming back to her parents after running away, you know. Um, but you feel like Dumont is actually kind of going, no, I don't know whether I can get myself involved in this situation with him. But it is a really tough scene with, between the two of them. 
Oh, it gets, it just gets worse. It gets much worse. Absolutely. This is the textbook definition. If you looked up toxic relationships, mm-hmm. um, in a, in a dictionary, there would be a photo of these two characters and there's just a link to this scene. Yeah. Um, it's just tough to watch. So, okay. First things first. Theoretically, there's two, there's two to three scenes in this, uh, yes. in this. So the first is Billy's outside Dumont's door freaking out. And she stopped, doesn't let him in, then eventually lets him in. Mm-hmm. Um, into the, well, she starts grilling him and what he did, cause he, he's covered in blood and he throws a bag of money on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think she probably realized that something bad has gone down there. <laughs> well, we, we would hope. She, she's a doctor. Yeah. She's, she, yeah. she's got good eyesight. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we could say that the, the potentially the next is Billy explaining Basically, Frank. So explaining Frank is the the skull. Frank is the one who destroyed his face. Yeah, he's explaining what he thinks he's found out. Um, And that's where the problem comes in here with him and DeMont, really. You know, he says he thinks his best friend tried to kill him. And Frank knows that he would say he would risk his life to save Frank. So why is Frank killing him? And then DeMont mistakenly, I guess, twists the knife. She effectively says, but what if Frank went crazy? So she starts to blame Frank, which is pushing Billy even further over the edge because yeah. Billy's going, well, I couldn't possibly do anything to make this guy want to kill me. And Dumont's going, well, maybe he's crazy because he's the Punisher, remember? He's the guy that was in that escaped prison and was in New York and was put in prison for murder, remember? So um, so maybe he's the one that's that's crazy. It's not you, Billy, you know? So suddenly she's turned him into even more of a victim than he thinks he was because I think he was searching for an answer as to what he might have done to drive Frank over the edge to kill him. And she stops that. She draws a line under it and says, no, maybe it wasn't you. Maybe it's just him. But she also does say that she didn't know about Frank. Yes. That she hadn't got the information on him uh, in her files. So I I think the CIA, Homeland, probably were a little careful with the information they released on Frank, given that they are trying to say that he doesn't exist anymore by moving all the prints. So I can understand that she wouldn't fully know frank's story she might know um that someone was involved at the carousel and there was the the brutal disfigurement whether she knows it's this frank castle um is another matter entirely no i don't mean that i mean that she has this conversations with billy and billy in the past has mentioned her his best friend frank his best friend frank castle he's, he's mentioned that there's no mention of that in the file that as we know the explanation that madani gave was that uh effectively with a bad relationship with Billy, she shot him um, and, and put him in, in hospital, basically. So there, there's no involvement of Frank there. It's only Billy coming back here that's saying, actually, it was Frank that did all this to me. He's the one that did this to my face. He's the one that, that took me out of the carousel. And I'm wondering if she knows that Frank Castle is the Punisher, if you know what I mean. Because everybody in New York should know that. Yeah, that's true. So, uh, and, okay, because so, I, I want to move this forwards because... Billy does go crazy. Yes, he does. And I said one of the scariest moments in the episode was Frank attacking Amy. But this is also one of the creepier scary moments. Yeah. Like, she has left the monster inside of her house. She had the opportunity to keep him outside, knowing how far he was gone. Um, But having Billy, when she eventually dozes off on the couch, having Billy standing over her, screaming at her effectively, that he's now worked out that she must be connected to the whole thing. Because if Frank's gone bad, well, she's also gone bad. That's a scary moment. Yeah, and it gets worse. So, like, the, the blue things doesn't work. 
can't do mm-hmm. things exercise. And it gets even worse again when he drags her to the window. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, he knows that's her fear. Mm-hmm. Like, so he fully uses it. Now, she does talk him down. She actually is manages to convince Billy to be better, mm-hmm. to be stronger. And I'm sorry, it's getting more and more and more like, I don't believe her. I actually think she does know about Frank. Okay. I think she's like, if she is a psychiatrist, she knows how to push buttons. Okay. She understands the psychology of Billy, the character, Billy the person, Jigsaw. Mm-hmm. Could she actually be doing all this? Could she be the one making Jigsaw? I don't know. I actually don't believe her. I actually go, she does know about Frank. I think that's the thing here, is that her motives could be completely upfront here, as Mm -hmm. has been described in the previous episodes. And with this, that you know, it's almost like that kindred spirit of... Uh, being smashed on the rocks and having to claw your way back from that through the the physical trauma and mm-hmm. injury, uh, but also, um, yeah, I mean, Billy brings up that that point. You know, that do you really not know about Frank Castle uh, from my files? How are you supposed to really help me if mm-hmm. you don't know? Were you keeping this a secret? As you say, I mean, it's plausible that she doesn't, yeah. but at the same time. Uh, it's plausible what Billy's saying, uh, for sure. And yeah, it, it's it's a really twisted, complicated relationship. And I do like that about these two. Definitely. And it's absolutely why I love the scene, because it is so plausible how Billy could have jumped to this conclusion. You can really see that. And in fact, it comes across really well, because it sounds like Billy has actually found a file in the in the apartment that has all of the details in it. But actually, he, that's what he's saying to her, to try and draw her out and try and get her to admit that she has been lying to him. And then it actually turns out, well, there was no file because it has never been created. She's never seen that file that has it written down that Frank Castle was the one that did it to him. Because that's not the story that the CIA have, and that's not the story the Homeland have, and it's not the story that the uh, NYPD have. So nobody has that written down in documentation. So it is a really interesting moment, but I'm really, really creepy. That whole scene just made me... Got under my skin, if you want to. Is that the, probably a good way of calling it? Like, it was just uncomfortable to watch. Yes, absolutely. Because you're wondering, has she created this monster by mistake, effectively? It's what we what we said at the beginning of the season. The first conversation that we hear with Dumont is going, he is like a jigsaw puzzle. We're going to put the pieces back together to get him back to himself. Well, she's done a lot of that, but she's missing, you know, about 10 or 20 pieces in this guy's crazy mind. And she's made extra links. She may be taken some pieces from another jigsaw and put them in there somehow. Um, but she's taken some extra links and created the bad guy like we thought she was going to. And it seems to be she's done it by mistake and she almost paid the price here. She almost, it feels like he was about to kill her. Exactly. She's Dr. Frankenstein and this is her monster. Exactly, exactly. That is where we're going. But I, I'm calling this now, and I, like, I'm going to let you in on my um, on my kind of defense slightly, which is I'm still getting massive pangs or wafts of the, uh, the Harlequin-Joker relationship. Mm. Except Harlequin wasn't involved in the creation of Joker. It's just kind of the other way around a bit, isn't it? But that's the thing. There's no... 
the, what they're doing with this relationship, quote unquote, between the two, these two characters, they're flipping it left and right. So at one time, Jumon's the alpha, she's the Joker, and Billy's Harley Quinn, mm-hmm. and then they'll flip it the exact the other way. Yeah. Um, so there's no consistency in the roles in this relationship. Yeah, and that's I suppose what makes it different. Uh, but she does kind of create a monster, as we as we've said a number of times here, because she convinces Billy to leave again and convinces him that everything's kind of okay. And everybody see the confidence in Billy when he arrives back to the gang with that bag of money. Do we see the old Billy back, the Billy from season one, who's yeah. running his own business and organization, bringing together former uh, army vets to to do security work well this time he's going to do something very similar he's going back to the crew and giving them the money giving them the option to just take you know a couple of hundred quid kind of thing that's probably probably a couple of thousands really each uh and then he says well either you can take these scraps or we can join together and create something new as we mentioned a couple of episodes ago it feels like this is billy's new mission is to create a new collective of former army vets to do what well, it sounds like they're going to do going to become a pretty powerful militia is kind of the the action that Billy seems to want to get into. I don't think it's going to be robbing banks and doing and turning over corner stores. It sounds like it's going to be something much bigger than that. So I I do see Billy and the these puzzles um still attempting like breaking and entering but like on a grander scale. They're going to do larceny, but it's going to be they're not going to knock over a um a, a kind of payday loan shop. Mm. They're not oh, going to go for a bank. They're going to go for something like Fort Knox. But I think it's going to be bigger. I think they are actually going to go quite political, almost, because it feels like Billy's reaching out to the people that have been hard done by. As we mentioned before, it feels like that's the kind of vets he wants, the people that want to take back, effectively, American society from the people that didn't get involved in securing it from outside nations. It feels like... What he's saying is there are thousands of us here, and if we all band together and form a society and a group, we can take it back by force. Is kind of almost what it feels like. It feels like that kind of big taking over the world type villainous act. <laughs> yeah, Do you know but what I mean? It, this... it seems like bigger than something that we've seen in any of the other uh, Defender shows. It feels like he is becoming a big bad, not just a guy with a gun shooting people in the street or robbing banks. It feels like he's going much bigger than that. Yeah, like he's like he's a man on a mission more than anything else. I, I can see I can see that, yeah. But he's gonna need funding. Let's uh, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Like so yep. I, I see the uh, Yeah. It I, I wanna see where this goes. Mm-hmm. Um because they have the opportunity, as you say, to create a really interesting big bad who yep. has some serious training mm-hmm. um who can very much work within the guerrilla warfare rules that he was trained but on home soil. Yeah, exactly. Do you know, in fact, the, the movie that came to mind that this was reminding me of is actually the second half of Fight Club. Oh, yes. Where, yes. The, where the militia is being built and they're going to go out and do some kind of disruptive acts to to intimidate people around them effectively that's kind of what the feeling i got okay yeah that makes that makes sense definitely yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That, that, see, I, i'd be down with that i'd be down for that because mm-hmm. i think that would be an interesting take on that mm-hmm. it's certainly the most intriguing moment in this episode without a doubt this moment with billy because it, it's the one that pushed me into the next episode um we do get a kind of a, a closer part of it as we mentioned earlier on that's going on to our final bullet point uh, bullet point number five the kind of graveside chat of Frank, we finally see Frank breaking down effectively after all of the things he's gone through over the over the past 
eight episodes, really, when he pays a visit to Maria Castle, uh, his, his his wife and the kids' uh, gravesite. Um, what do you guys think of this scene, John? Um, again, it was one of those where I kind of felt on edge. I was half expecting, as you know, the camera was panning around Frank at uh, his wife's graveside. Uh, that in the blurry background in the far distance, there was going to be the man in black. Oh, um, like, I don't know. I just like, I think just for me, one of the issues with this whole episode has been just that it's not progressed. The other storyline here. I, okay. I definitely get the, the idea that Billy's storyline has to be, uh, progressed as well mm. but it feels like it's right we'll just progress Billy's did it. I feel they could have intercut things a lot better here and so for me as I say the two moments one at the caravan and again here um, I've just been expecting the man in black to show up and do his dastardly deeds mm-hmm. um, and so it's kept me on edge it's kept me out of that moment of the graveside chat which focuses on frank being slightly unsure about what's going on because you know um he's frustrated that he has seen in billy that he doesn't understand why frank has gone after him and the whole thing that frank wanted to do with this mutilation at the end of season one was that keep him um aware of the stuff that he's done and know that the reason why he is now disfigured is because of that and that's gone um so but i was kind of taken out of that a bit because i was constantly looking for the man in black in in the far distance coming up with a silence gun on on frank all there be you know i mean there was one moment where it just shows the the grave and i was thinking it wouldn't surprise me if you just got the splat of blood on the you know i was kind of like i suppose it just took me out of it so um, but I think the graveside chat is interesting. It's interesting that they bring it back to Maria mm-hmm. and that it is connected with, in a sense, Billy Russo and him not knowing why his best friend. I like that. I like that murkiness of, of how it's become right. uh, between these two. And it's nice that he brings it back to him having this conversation or reflection with um you know, the spirit of his dead wife yeah. at, at the graveside. Yeah. Gentlemen, I'm torn at this scene. Like John, I was fully expecting a, a bit of blood to just spatter on it. And like yeah. from like a sniper rifle. Because to be fair, Billy knows where Marie, Marie is buried. And it's not going to be that hard for the man in black to find out. It would have been poetic justice to a degree. Like not even justice. It just would have been what we expected but what we're getting here is i said like this evolution of frank he's now cracked he's understand that he's going too far he's having a conversation Mm -hmm. although we can't hear it with maria um he's gonna sleep there maybe he's he'll have like a heavenly um epiphany and now the punisher doesn't kill he only maims Mm. i don't know where they're going with this because we didn't get him talking to her we couldn't hear anything. We mm. don't know what he's thinking. Well, I think this is pretty shorthand. This is one of those ones where, yeah, you go and visit the graveside of a loved one if that's who you've been killing and murdering for or beating t- people to a pulp for. When you feel you've gone too far, you go and visit the graveside to reorient yourself. It's you know, it's pretty standard uh, movie terminology, really, for 
I need to reset myself. You know, we had, we in fact had this visit to the gravesite back in Daredevil season two when Punisher first appeared. We had a moment when he was at the gravesite, uh, regretting how far he'd gone, I think, uh, after all the conversations he'd had with Daredevil in that season. You know, it's, it's been used before as, as a trope for Frank and will be used many, many times again over many, many comic books and many, many series of the show, hopefully. Exactly. Um, where he will continually return to reorient himself. And in fact, this also mirrors Billy returning to Dr. Dumont because it's the only real friend that he has, the only place that he can go and feel like he's himself. And for Frank, the graveside of his, of his wife and kids is the only real place he feels safe as well. Um, but I know what you guys mean about, about the idea of potentially having Pilgrim standing there waiting for him because Pilgrim has absolutely no leads on where Frank is. The only person he's met is Madani saying, tell me where he is. And Madani hasn't got back to him. So the only other place possibly he goes, well, Frank's back in New York. He might go and visit his wife at, at the graveside. Maybe I'll camp out there with my gun. Yeah, I can see what you guys mean, why you would think that maybe the Pilgrim would be around. Yeah, there. and sorry, just Derek, to, to agree with you, I understand the, the trope and I get what they were doing. I just think they're better than that. I'm agreeing with you. We've seen this before. He's done this yeah. before and I... Like, this cannot be the shorthand they use every season or every two seasons to reset Frank Castle. I think you're going to be surprised. I know, but I mean, they, they could <laughs> think, do so much better. Since the 80s, when uh, when Frank Castle's been a pretty regular fixture in comic books, I think the appearance of, uh, of Maria's grave has been regular enough that it's almost every, like, five or six issues he goes back and resets himself. Yeah. <laughs> you might as well have his bunker based pretty close to that graveyard. Yeah, I mean, he should I... just take her actual gravestone with him. It would save him going back. <laughs> it's like, funny, I need this just to talk to, so I'm going to put this in the back of my van. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I, I think ultimately that's the reason for Frank Castle and who he is and yep. what he's become. So, um, yeah, he's, I think the, the, the lump of granite is always going to be, um, a bit of a central theme for, yeah. for Frank. Yeah. But, but it, it will be interesting to see what happens in the next episode. The fact that the episode ended like this, you are, you guys are right. Absolutely. You know, this moment with him sitting by the graveside, you don't hear the conversation. You don't hear him saying, right now, my mission is to do this or I'm going to stop beating people to a pulp now or anything like that. So you don't see the resolution of this scene. You would usually get something like this scene in the middle of an episode or towards the end of the series. So possibly what will come out of it next episode might be something uh, else to discuss as we get into episode nine. Uh, that's it for our main bullet points for this episode. Uh, a couple of little notes, nothing too major uh, from this episode. Just thought it was interesting that, um, as we said, Amy sitting on her own in that caravan, uh, very, very bored, uh, has the only book that she seems to have is this massive tome called The Fatal Shore by Robert Hughes. Um, this is the story of the, the founding of Australia, um, which I think is quite interesting. The director, as we said, is an Australian, so it may be his own personal cop copy of the book, but it really doesn't feel like something that, that Amy would find massively interesting to read. So you see her just picking it up, reading a few pages and putting it down and just getting a bit bored and taking up the shotgun and trying and testing on that. So yeah. just thought it was quite an interesting little touch. Yeah, final note from me. We have Whiskey Watch with a Minden whiskey. Never heard of it, but uh, Amy seems to have done because she's bought a bottle um, and she's uh, pouring everyone a glass of whiskey, uh, Curtis and Madani, just to really get them settled, settle their nerves okay. after uh, the craziness that has been Frank Castle. Um, so yeah, uh, Minden Whiskey, probably just uh, a name 
that it has been done by the um, production team. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I couldn't couldn't see anything specific about Minden whiskey. There's a couple of places in uh, in the US and and actually a place in Germany called Minden uh, where they may produce this whiskey. But also, it seems like something that just came along with the caravan when uh, when they rented it out or when they decided to settle in there. It's like, of course, there's going to be a bottle of whiskey here. There's a bottle of whiskey everywhere. Yeah, like a bottle of whiskey in my hand right now. Uh, (laughs) By the way, we're recording for our fellow defenders. We are recording this at like 12.30 in the day. So it's it's noon somewhere now. It's noon here. It's noon there. We're good to drink. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, let's get on to our defense, guys. That's pretty much everything from notes and bullet points for me. Um, Chris, do you defend Punisher Season 2, Episode 8, Brothers Keeper? So, yeah, um, this is a bit of a weird one for me. Um... I, and I, I think, John, you were saying this recently as well. The more I've discussed this episode, the more I've become slightly enraged by it. Um, oh. It's not that I don't defend it. But mm-hmm. I also... So, this is... It's like Schrodinger's Punisher. I both defend it and I don't defend it at the same time. <laughs> right. <laughs> if basically, open you, you open the box and I'm defending it, and you open the box and I'm not defending it. Because right. there are points in here that I'm actually enjoying. So the, mm-hmm. there's parts where I'm enjoying, like, in one episode, they've basically been able to move all of their central characters forward from where they are at the beginning of the episode to being completely something new or potentially new at the end of it. So we see Madani moving potentially to become and lining with Mahoney, or is she going to line with Frank? But like essentially, she is making that decision. Her her future is changed, no matter what she does. Frank is Frank. Frank is becoming the Punisher too too much of the Punisher, and we see him try and reset himself, as you said, at the end of this. Mm-hmm. Billy is becoming Jigsaw, and. We, we see him go from batshit crazy to batshit crazy, but with purpose. <laughs> um, so, but then also, I don't like what they're doing with the, like some of the things, like the graveside, the graveside chat, or actually the whole Dumont Billy relationship creeps me out. Um, but mm-hmm. it's also lazy shorthand because I still feel they're doing a flip flop with the Joker. So I do defend it, but I also don't. Because I think this is, as you said, like it's been a, a lazy shorthand to get someone just to go to the grave of a loved one and the, suddenly they have a realisation and an epiphany and then everything's better. So like, while they're doing some good things, they're also doing some lazy, lazy things. And I get that. Like you, you're writing 13 episodes. You need to, you need, you can't, not everything can be a masterpiece when you're doing over 13 hours of a film. Or a TV show, uh-huh. but it's you should always at least strive for that. Um, so this is the thing. Um, so I, I'm smack in the middle. Uh, I, I don't. I don't right. want to give it a full defense. I don't want to give it a full. Do not defend. Like it's somewhere. Yeah, it, it's a very strange one, and I can't. And I, I'm hoping that maybe when I watch episode nine. It's all gonna go. Oh well, it all makes sense now, and it's fine. And I actually, I can, I can let them. I'll, I'll let them away with these certain things because it paid off in the end. But I, mm-hmm. as of right now, I don't see that happening. Right, right. And quickly, just to defend myself, those are your thoughts, Chris, not mine. <laughs> I never said lazy shorthand. I said they're using. Oh no, yes, excuse me. Yes. 
So I, I'm adding the word lazy shorthand. <laughs> yes. I didn't say that. I said shorthand. Grant, just to make sure. How about that, John, do you defend this episode of The Punisher? Season 2, episode 8, My Brother's Keeper. Yes, I do defend this episode of The Punisher. I give it three Monster Russos out of five. Mm. Um, but a bit like Chris, uh, I do defend it. Um, I think as an episode in itself, um, I really enjoy it. I, in particular, I really like Billy Russo in, in this. I think how he portrays the confusion um, is really good. And it really challenged me with regards to Frank. Um, you know, the empathy is leaking away very rapidly uh, on Frank here. And I find myself really wanting him to be taken down by Mahoney and Madani. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have a lot of sympathy with Curtis um, being caught uh, with this effectively crazy guy um, that's happening in, in the episode. So, um, and I think of that, the episode is is absolutely good i want to see the other half of this story which involves the man in black and the pilgrim and i really wish that they hadn't separated um it out or made them as so clearly distinct i wish there had been some interweaving of the storyline here of the schultzes who've not appeared for ages yet we've had this huge revelation mm-hmm. and um you know the the pilgrim where is he is he just watching them uh, and waiting, uh, well, the wait is starting to get a little too long. I, I want to see something that either brings these two disparate stories together, or I want to see um, the the play out of the Pilgrim uh, and that storyline, because to me, that's the newest storyline. Uh, to some extent, I really like Billy Russo, but we saw a lot of that in season one. We know this story. I want to know the other story. You know, if it continues like this, I'm going to start to not defend these episodes because in and of themselves, they're fine. But I'm just like, I've seen season one of The Punisher. I don't Mm. need to see it again. Uh, I want to see season two. And that means ultimately the freshness of The Pilgrim, The Man in Black and that storyline. I I want to see more of that. Um, That is what drove the show for the first three episodes. Um, and it's just vanished. Um, where's that momentum? So this is a really tough one for me. To some extent, it is almost like a non-defend. Um, so I'm, I'm completely with you, Chris, actually, about the Schrodinger uh, Punisher element here. Um, but in and of itself, I think this episode is good, and mm-hmm. I do defend it. Uh, but they really need to source out what they were trying to say here. Mm-hmm. So with that, Derek... Do you defend this episode of The Punisher? I defend it because if we didn't have the episode, we wouldn't have these masterful scenes um, with Billy Russo. Uh, I think they're absolutely magnificent to see. Um, I'm totally with you guys, though, uh, and definitely with you, John. I think I actually said the same words that you said. This is season two of the show. I need to see more. This isn't He-Man. This isn't like He-Man versus Skeletor every week and then, you know, the story starts again next week and they go back up against each other for something else. I, I can't have that in TV these days. TV's too good to keep focusing on the same bad guy for the same hero every single week of a show or every single episode of a show. You need more than that nowadays. Um, they've created these interesting characters, the Schultz and uh, the Man in Black, who we've seen for maybe 25 minutes of eight episodes of the show you know we need more um it can't get to like the last three episodes of the show and then you bring them back and they have the big battle with frank because most people will have lost interest in that side of the story you know it's like as if they've gone well actually billy russo is a really interesting character so let's just keep him in focus 
And they probably have, because he is an interesting character. He's a good character. But we have seen a lot of it before in season one. So there's no point in rewriting that and having that conversation again and having that same storyline again for the second season. Um, I'm hoping for more. And I'm hoping it's going to bring us more in these last five episodes of the show. So um, hopefully we'll have the payoff for the story with Billy sooner rather than later. Um, But I'm still defending it because there are some amazing moments in this episode. Absolutely. Um, And I think on to some of the thoughts and feedback for this series of The Punisher so far. Uh, Remember, there is email, feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. We have Twitter, at DefendersCast, and we have voicemail through our website. Just head on over to DefendersTVPodcast.com and click on the Leave Voicemail tab on the right-hand side of the screen. And of course, as always, come and join our spoiler-filled uh, posts of each episode over on our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast. Loads of different channels to get involved with The Punisher season two. Yeah, our first piece of feedback comes on the back of our episode five podcast where we got a, had a pretty big conversation about the violence in that episode, the uh, the attack in the gym uh, with the Russians. Uh, David Horrocks of the Comics in Motion podcast says, great show as always guys, I can see the gym scene being a bit too much for a lot of people and I was struggling to think of any equivalent brutality in a TV show before. I think the likes of Tarantino's work, um, where in his movies they're considered pretty violent, but he'll often move the camera away when something like that is going on and your mind's eye can see it, but it isn't on screen and in your face. That's kind of what I'm going for, Dave. I did, I did mention, you know, I've seen loads of violent movies. I've seen loads of, uh, kung fu movies, loads of, um, loads of horror movies, loads of really strong action films before. But there has to be a cutoff point. You have to say, this is where I'm sitting in the genre. This is my point. This is how far I'll go. And when you're talking about something like The Punisher, I kind of see the equivalent violent that I've seen in Daredevil. And then they push it two or three steps too far for me. And they have it on a number of times this season. And that's where I, I feel I'm having to pull myself back where I'm going, yeah, that's just too far for this show because I have to draw a line somewhere. Along the same lines, Donald Dennis wrote in to say, I think being tough to watch was the whole point. Too often violence is cold, sterile and viscerally low impact. The director really was communicating quite a bit that in the violent dance, the loyalty of the bruisers, the seriousness of the event. And then perhaps America really should have a stronger reaction to Russia's meddling. Mm. <laughs> yeah, like you, I had a tough time watching parts of the scene as well. I may have flinched away from the screen once or twice. However, for some reason, mm-hmm. I don't have the same sense that the show went overboard. The Punisher is not a show about measured response. I also felt like the Russian bullies had Frank surrounded and weren't going to let him go peacefully. Perhaps they didn't believe it was, he was innocent of the other murder, or perhaps it, it was because the Punisher getting his nose in the Russian mob's business. Thanks for your feedback, Donald. Yeah, no, um, much like you and Dave, I, I know you're on kind of different points of this, and I can see... Personally, I, I, I still, I'm kind of now with Derek as the violence has grown in this. They need to do potentially reset because we even in this episode saw a guy's cheekbone busting out of his face. Hmm. Now, it wasn't someone being weighted to death, I think is probably the best way of putting it. Uh, or at least his skull being caved in by weight. Um, but I, don't know. I, I understand what you mean by cold, sterile, and viscerally low impact. This this is moving beyond that. And I think there's, as Derek says, there's a point, and some film filmmakers need to say where their point is. Um, mm. And 
that has yet to happen in the show. Yeah. I think it's also taken a bit away from Punisher. We mentioned here that we're starting to lose a bit of, you know, being on Frank Castle's side. And I'm sure that's part of the intention this season. Don't get me wrong. I know they don't want him to be a hero. He's an anti-hero. I totally get that, that storyline as well. But there's a point where you go, well, actually now, probably three or four times so far this season, somebody else has stepped in to say, Frank, you're about to kill him. Don't kill him. Or Frank, you're about to kill Amy. Don't kill Amy. You know, that kind of stuff, which is too far for a show because I don't know where the stopping point is. And I don't want to watch a snuff TV show where Frank kills people if someone's not there to tell him to stop. Because doesn't that take away the image of Frank Castle being in being a very in control veteran who is hugely violent? If he's no longer in control like he was last season and like he was at the beginning of this season, if he's no longer the man in control of this superpower that he has, which is beating people to a pulp, you've kind of lost the character for me a bit. But but I totally get the get the feedback, and thanks so much for your feedback on episode five. Yeah, it's really good to get the feedback. Uh, thanks so much, Donald and David, uh, for that. Because, yeah, it was a big moment, and it's a moment that has the potential to... Uh, divide the audience or at least to get people having that discussion so yeah thank you so much for that feedback Mm -hmm. on episode six we have some feedback on the podcast as well bob phillips says listening to you three really enhances the watching experience which means i'm disagreeing obviously about the gay president problem thank you bob disagreements are always good discussions Mm -hmm. are always good uh, Bob goes on, I do recognise I'm being stereotypical, presuming, but I'm guessing the good man with a gun audience who have Castle as a hero veer to a less LGBT accepting stance. Add to this the right-wing extreme Christian stance of the Schultz, and I do think he's gay is enough of a shock for them to want to make it disappear. Clumsy? Question mark. Yes. Should Shouldn't be an issue? Question mark? Absolutely. But where the POTUS can be a sexual predator and cheat and hate-fueled but aggressively straight, I think this fits their believability. Finally, Bob says, Your pickup of the KGB slash Titans of Industry mirroring completely passed me by, though, and was absolutely spot on. That was yours, John. It was, yeah. Thank you so much, Bob, for that. To be honest, I think there's less of a disagreement here than maybe um, it came across in, in the podcast. I think you're right. Um, you know, it shouldn't be an issue. Um, and it was maybe clumsy. I think it was we wanted to see more of the Schultzes and the Schultzes' son to really get um, that that shock of, of what was happening uh, yeah. in that moment. I think, um, you know, it is absolutely for right-wing extreme Christian stance and um, with re- with regards to the the audience, that would be a shock, absolutely. Um, I, I just think we needed to see more of the Schultzes and their son uh, in order to really have that focus of that shock and the spotlight on that shock uh, a bit clearer. Yeah. Um, and certainly, yeah, for me, the Schultzes completely come across as uh, Cox brothers, uh, for sure. Thank you for finishing that sentence. <laughs> I did just want to say, I know on our Facebook group, I mentioned that I did have some problems with the edit on episode six, so we may have lost something to do with our conversation about um, what we felt about the uh, the reveal of a gay future president. I think all we were saying was, it doesn't shock us. That that kind of thing wouldn't surprise us. In fact, in Ireland, we, our prime minister is gay. So it's not a shocking reveal that someone in the presidential race would do it. We just felt that they haven't established that um, the Schultzes have a problem with that. They haven't established them as being 
right-wing extreme. We're just assuming that because we saw them in church once, which is partly our problem. <laughs> we're, we're also making assumptions about the type of people they are because of the one or two scenes we've seen of them. We need more than that. We can't just assume things about them. We need to have a little bit more of them. As we've mentioned, they've been on screen for about, what, three, four scenes, I think, so far by episode eight. So we know nothing about them at all. So this moment of the big reveal didn't have any impact at all and i'm not saying you can't use it in a tv show i want to see it in a tv show i want to have these kind of discussions in a tv show these kind of things brought up but to have no background to it and go this is a shock everybody well you know i feel like we're going to get to episode nine or ten and then we'll find we'll find out that wasn't anything at all there was no shock there and we're just reading into it so we shouldn't have that we need more we need we need to have a little bit more of this family as we mentioned on the episode we've seen a total of i think i was trying to figure it out i think it was about a total of 10 to 11 minutes of the schultzes in eight hours yeah and they seem hugely caring they're caring for a, a woman who's dying of possibly cancer they're taking care of a family while this guy's going off on a mission the only thing we've seen them do is say we need you to take care of some bad people but we have no idea why so yeah yeah a bit of a bit of a weird one yeah but thanks bob for that again i think it's really good to to have these conversations about these big moments in in the punisher Mm -hmm. on to episode seven feedback and bob is back in town uh Bob says, well, at the start of this episode, I thought we were on a three-episode arc. Our climb to a confrontation between Frank and Billy wasn't I wrong. I'm not sure whether the next episode is going to be one very long car chase, perhaps featuring a cameo from Ryan Gosling, or a move into the tortured mind of a crumbling FBI agent or the clean-up and police investigation of a murderous bank robbery. I do want to watch the next right now, however. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I I think all of us, that was such a a sharp and abrupt cut uh, Mm -hmm. with that car chase. And it was great that it really fed into the start of episode eight uh, the way it did. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, what's it going to be? As you say, a long car chase the investigation post-murderous bank robbery. Uh, yeah, it was a really nice end to episode seven mm-hmm. to really get the juices flowing in anticipation for episode eight, for sure. Yeah. Yes, and thank you, Bob, for calling out the three-episode arc. Um, yeah, I, I'm seeing it now. I, 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 Guys, I know you're not 100% believing in this theory, but like we're on episode eight. We've had seven and eight, and potentially it's going to be resolved in nine and then again with getting these arcs and i'm calling it i'm staying with this so thank you bob for calling that out again (laughs) good stuff yeah thanks so much bob for the feedback our final piece of feedback comes in from kristen howe on this episode on episode eight she says this episode felt like an episode of heat at the beginning uh frank ending his tirade at the gravesite of maria and his kids was very moving for me it was almost like he came back to earth from whatever rage planet he took a trip to (laughs) you know i totally agree with you Kristen. i think there is this moment that you do need that shorthand where you need frank to calm down and i like that they're i like that they're using this in here i know it has it has a little bit of controversy in this episode but i do like that he's he realized the need to calm down and this is his place of serenity i suppose and uh, we've seen it used before and i'm sure we're going to see it again um and i want frank to calm down for this race planet this is not the show i want to watch i don't want to see him every week punching <laughs> someone's face in it's just not enjoyable to me so uh, so i'm hoping that he calms down gets a bit more measured gets a plan in place as to how he's going to take down billy and his new gang and works the plan like he did last season and works the plan like he did back in daredevil so i want to see that planning frank 
Yeah, absolutely. In which case, I think we do need to have micro. <laughs> You don't want to see. Um, so I definitely uh, thank you, Kristen, for that and for reminding me of, of this need to take that heat from Frank uh, as he moves from Rage Planet to hopefully Yoga and Pilates Planet, Frank. <laughs> Thanks so much for all of the feedback. As always, you can keep contacting us through our Facebook group and through email at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, as I mentioned earlier, please do. We'll continue our coverage of Punisher Season 2, Episode 9 with Flustercluck. Yes, Flustercluck. Love it. Next Tuesday. Yes, try saying that three times fast, everyone. And until while you're practicing that tongue twister, we will see you back then yeah thank you so much fellow defenders for all your contributions and for listening to us it's always a pleasure speaking with you uh, and yes once i've gotten off my rage planet after the end of this uh, episode uh, we'll be back to see you soon bye Welcome on board, Michael. Yeah, good to have you here, Michael. Good day, mate. <laughs> I was just trying to make you feel at home. <laughs> John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Oh, yeah. Sure. Oh, no, leave the oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's given me options, Chris, and the option I'm going to take is sure. <laughs> I like that there was this Russian dolls of inside men going on. You know, there was both an undercover cop and then an... Un- Isn't that... Okay. No, there's a, the delivery guy. Yeah. It's, the, it's the security guy that delivered the money. And the other inside man is the guy who was behind the counter who opened oh, the I door. I got the feeling one was a cop. Okay. A security guy. That's where you. That's where uh, he was okay, wearing okay. a security uniform. Yeah. Okay. Chris, do you want to take something? Because I just need to probably, That's a completely different yeah. idea. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, this was really cool. I thought that, that as we get to see, we're surprised by the other inside man mm-hmm. who was one of the security guards, which was kind of cool. Um, but... Sorry. That wasn't the surprise. So we knew the security guard. The security guard was the guy that brought them the job. Yeah. Yeah. He worked for the security company. He was the guy that delivered the so bags who, in. who got killed there? Because no then, one... Oh, and, then, and then the guy behind the counter, when Billy was trying to get Lillian to open up the door last episode. Oh, God, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I'm flipping this. Yeah, okay. So that that's the guy that was the surprise, because they said they'd take him with him and they wrapped up his hands. Yeah, that was the surprise. Yeah, and then they cut him free. And then Billy gets his sense back to get his senses back together. Shoots both of them in the head. The inside, both inside guys are shot in the head by Billy. Yeah. And then yeah. he takes the bag of money and f- off on everybody else. And they're all just looking at him, going, "Oh, okay, that's fine." Yeah, 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 yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So there's a shocking one. Was the guy behind the counter? We knew the security guy was involved from the beginning. But um, was that guy the security guy, the one that you shot? Because he wasn't in a security. Yeah, outfit. he was. Yeah. Because oh, okay. he dropped the money off and left, and then he was meeting them all after the job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because remember, do you remember when he arrived at the when they were all doing their training? So which one stuff? was the cop? No cop, security okay. guy. Do you remember when they were doing the training the first time? Yeah, that security guy arrived in his uniform, and Billy went, 
you have some balls coming here, especially in that uniform that might tie you to us. How can you be your inside man by coming here? Yeah. So that was indicating that there was another inside man that hasn't that hadn't gone to these training sessions with Billy. So yeah. that's all. There you go. There you go. Let's all talk about how complicated that was and how much we had to explain it to ourselves to get that. <laughs> yeah, I see them like trying to knock over like Fort Knox or something like that. Like it's going to be. I still think we're going to end up getting Billy the 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 Billy and the jigsaws or Billy and the puzzles or whatever way we want to call it. I still see them going and attempting like what do you call it? Uh, B and E's, but like it's going to be on a grander scale, if you know what I mean. I don't. What's B and E's? Oh, breaking and entering. Okay. <laughs> I was just trying. To, I was spelling that word out in my mind. I was like, <laughs> bees with knees. That's yeah, it. bees with knees. Actually, did you know bees have knees? Um, <laughs> I thought it was a breed of dog. <laughs> <laughs> a breed of knees. Oh my god. Right. <laughs> 